We're joined today by Alex Collins, Corporate Analyst in Emerging Markets. Welcome, Alex. Within the past couple of years, ESG has become a core focus for global financial markets. How should we think about ESG when applied to emerging markets? I sit in the extractive sector in, in emerging markets. This is, this is sort of where my coverage lies. So I think it's sort of safe to say that I'm sitting within the, the zone of greatest concern for, for the ESG conscious investors. You know, I think extractive is, is quite obvious, but then you also have, you know, the fact that these companies are an EM, which means they're often less mature, you know, they're less transparent. And also, you know, another fact to, to think about is that they have far closer relationships with their sort of respective governments than you might see in, a, in, their, in their DM counterparts. A good example of this is, is in oil and gas, which is part of my coverage area. Almost all of these major companies are owned by their governments. And these are massive employers, massive taxpayers, and, and very large contributors to GDP. So, you know, when you talk to management, it just means that the needs and requirements of, of us international investors, they're not always sort of the top of mind. Um, and also, you know, the, these management teams have to focus on their own domestic uh, investor bases. And, you know, one classic way this has expressed itself is via uh, weaker ESG disclosure. So if we think about financial disclosure, in the past, you know, EM companies have, have lagged their DM counterparts. This, you know, an example of this is quarterly results and, and uh, investor calls. I'm happy to say that with financial disclosure, this gap is now closed. Um, but I think we're seeing a repeat of the same issue with regards to ESG information. And when we look at EM companies, it's definitely more patchy on that front than, than in developed markets. What should investors keep in mind when applying ESG methodologies in your area? I think it's important at the start to say that it's clear ESG is very positive. And I think we're all already seeing real results. But when we're looking at the most intensive ESG stories, I think there are a couple of areas where we should exercise extra care. First, I see a tendency to focus on the ESG data that's easiest to measure and hence most widely reported. A good example of this is carbon emissions. Carbon emissions have been followed far longer than most other forms of environmental harm caused by companies. The measurement of these emissions is more standardized, it's more widely reported by companies, and it's also e easier to model and estimate for any companies that don't report. As a result of this, there is an abundance of carbon data. And in my experience, one of the most common reasons a company is screened out of a portfolio is due to its carbon emissions. If we go one level deeper, even within carbon emissions, there are measurement challenges. When we think about emissions, we typically class them into scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one emissions are created by the company themselves in their direct course of business, so burning of fuels. Scope two, are created in the production of power that the company uses. So the power plant that generates the energy that runs their factory, as an example. You can broadly think of scope one and scope two as direct emissions. You then have scope three, and these are, this is everything else, all the indirect emissions. And these emissions include everything used, created in the extraction, production, and transportation of raw materials that the company purchases to produce their own uh, final products. Clearly, to map and reduce emissions on a global scale, we need to consider all three of these scopes. 
but while scope one and scope two can be measured easily, to estimate scope three, we need to map all of the companies ahead of them in the supply chain. What this means is that most carbon intensity measures today only focus on scope one and scope two, while scope three are not yet being calculated or recorded on a consistent basis. What this risks is a streetlight effect. We are searching for something only in the place where it's easiest to find. Scope three emissions still matter, even if we can't measure them reliably. And until we have that data, these screens will be biased against the extractive end of the supply chain and will in turn flatter the many more companies that use the commodities that these extractive companies produce. The good news is I think that this will improve over time as the data improves. But until then, we should continue to account for these, even if we can only do so qualitatively at this stage. Second, I think there's a tendency to outright exclude companies who have bad ESG perceptions today, independent of what they're trying to do to change. As I said earlier, it's not immediately apparent to me how we should assign ESG blame throughout the supply chain. There is the most focus on commodity extraction. This makes sense. You know, this is the greatest risk of potential harm to the environment and to people. But in my view, you can't easily separate the ESG record of a mining company in the Congo with an electric vehicle producer in California until we find alternatives for the metals used in electric batteries. And you cannot have one without the other. When I speak to my companies, even to those who I would view as being very proactive in their attempts to improve ESG, there is almost a belief that they will never be able to change or improve their ESG perceptions, no matter what they do, because they are a circumstance of their country or where they are in the supply chain. The risk here is obviously that these companies ultimately decide what's the point in even trying, because this international investment is never coming back. And what this would do would actually cut off our ability to influence these companies for the better and also isolate the very companies which are most important from a global ESG perspective as, the, as they are where the greatest gains are still to be made. I would also like to add, and this is my view, it's important to note that most of these companies could survive and continue to operate even without this international investment. When we think about ESG at Blue Bay, when we look at individual companies, we spend a lot of time working out where they rank today, but we spend also the same amount of time engaging with these companies and trying to assess what they're doing and what is their trajectory and making sure to reward and recognize those that are doing what they can to improve. And to finish today, Alex, can you summarize again the main challenges of ESG in emerging markets? While I think we should be pushing forward with ESG, given the results we're seeing, we should also remain critical of the data that we're using and not be too biased towards the information that's easiest to measure. We should keep questioning how to assign ESG blame across the companies throughout the supply chain. And we should continue to recognize and reward good ESG progress, even amongst the hardest cases so that we don't isolate the companies where we can have the greatest ESG impact. Thanks for your time today.
This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax, or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Bluebay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Bluebay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Bluebay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.